Hello, welcome to episode two of the Tell Great Stories podcast. My name is Andy Shaw and this week we are looking at Anthony and Cleopatra, which was performed in 2019. Today we have with us... Uh, hello, I'm Dario Knight, I was the director of the show. Hello, I'm Robert Aldington, I played Mark Anthony. Hi, and I'm Joanne Rothery and I played Cleopatra. <clears throat> okay, so Dario, this was a huge play to take on. What made you choose Anthony and Cleopatra? Um... Well, a couple of reasons, really. One was we'd done Twelfth Night the year before and we'd always said we wanted to alternate each year between doing a comedy and a, a drama. So we we knew we were looking for one of the tragedies again. I suppose a big reason was it's kind of got a special place in my heart, Anthony Cleopatra. It was the first Shakespeare play I ever studied that I kind of I got really got. It was my kind of gateway into Shakespeare. I think everyone has that slightly light bulb moment where they, they cotton on to Shakespeare and why why he's so brilliant, why the poetry works. And so when I ended up working in theatre and I ended up being a director, I always kind of thought it'd be fun to do, although obviously a, a bit of a challenge. And the, the deciding factor, really, the third thing, was back in 2017 when we did uh, Macbeth, which Joe was in as Lady M, I remember we got towards the end of it and I, as a director, you kind of hold certain bits of ideal casting in your head that just kind of stay there for a while and every so often you do end up plucking one of them and going, let's do that. And I always thought, because I had this a real love and a connection with Anthony Cleopatra, I thought Joe would be brilliant as Cleopatra. And I kind of stored that away and thought, one day, one day we'll come around to doing that. And so and eventually um, we did, because we wanted to do something that was a bit ambitious. We'd done Macbeth and Twelfth Night, which were both plays you see performed quite often. They're, they're quite familiar to audiences. Anthony and Cleopatra is not something you see very often, particularly at a community level. So it was, yeah, all things kind of combined, really. And... and and that's what led to doing it. Brilliant. Um, okay, and then on to uh, onto the actors. Um, first of all, to Joe, um, how did you feel when finding out what Shakespeare play it was going to be, um, and after being offered the parts? Well, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, Dario. That's, that's <laughs> news to me. I, that's really <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, Dario said that he was he was planning to put this on, and, and but um, the opposite, really. I had I didn't know anything about the play. Um, I the all I knew was uh, Morecambe and Wise and uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor, and I was like, "Wow, that sounds really ambitious." Um, so of course I I had a look into it. Um, I read the script, and um, I thought, "Gosh, this this is a crazy lady. I don't. I'm I'm really not sure how I'm going to be able to play her. She was she was so complex and a real challenge. I think for an actress to to get her head round." So I, you know, had a big chat with Dario. We, we met up for coffee in in the days when you could do that. <laughs> and um, his enthusiasm for the for the whole production was was so infectious. And it was really we had such a, a great chat that day. And he sort of said, you know, he gave me all the confidence that you know, all his belief and and just. I could see all the visions in his head and all his his plans for it, and it was really exciting. And I just thought, you know, I'd be crazy not to to give this a go. So, um, um, yeah, we he invited me to audition. We, um, I I did those pieces, and then, um, yeah, and then it was like he offered me the part. So I was equally uh, excited and terrified at the same time. <laughs> 
that's a good mixture of emotions, I think, for any play. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, and then the same question to to Rob as well. Obviously, you were offered a different part initially, and so you've you, ultimately you learned two different parts, really. So, how did you feel about um, the initial part? Well, I think you're really complimenting me there, telling me that I learned two parts because you're <laughs> you're assuming I got uh, into learning the first part. So, yeah, for me, it was really weird because. Um, uh, you know, like Joe, I auditioned and um, and I was hoping to play um, Mark Antony. And then Dario uh, offered me uh, the part of Inna Barbus. And so I accepted that. It was fine. And uh, I was looking forward to the play and I, I started to read up. And Inna Barbus is, a, is actually a really, really nice part. There's a lot of depth in it. There's a lot of light and shade in, mm. in, uh, in, his, in his part. So I was all set to... Uh, to, to to go ahead with that and then I think it was uh, six weeks before the curtain was due to go up um, uh, Chris who was due to play um, Anthony uh, had a change of job and and couldn't uh, and, and couldn't do the play so um, so Dario asked me uh, if I would uh, if I would have a go at it and um, and so it was uh, like Joe, I suppose, a mixture of terror and excitement. Yeah. Uh, but it was such a such a great uh, opportunity to play such a big part, mm. uh, but not much time to uh, to learn it. So it was a massive sort of uh, intellectual challenge, really, learning that a part that size, just the sheer size of it, the number of speeches mm. uh, in a short period of time. Uh, but um, yeah, looking back, uh, and then I suppose I thought, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And, you know, will the play be able to go ahead? And I couldn't sort of countenance the play not going ahead because, you know, so many people involved and they were all into learning their stuff. And and uh, so there was no way that, um, that, that I wanted the production to stop. So I thought to myself, well, you better get on with it then. <laughs> so... <laughs> but we it was we were lucky really and it was a great position to be in although obviously having someone who's one of the title characters dropping out is a bit terrifying for any director how brilliant that we had it in the cast of someone who could come in and do it and not just do it in order to cover it you know rob did it because he was really suited to it and i think it's one of the best examples you can have of you end up where you need to be I think mm. nine times out of 10 in life, you end up doing what you need to do and you end up with the cast you were supposed to have. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a frightening for all concerned just because of the time involved and because we were going on tour, we weren't able to sort of shunt it back any further in the calendar. But um, yeah, it was it was a bit scary, but full credit to Rob for A, as you say, having to learn so many lines in such a quick <laughs> amount of time. Um, yeah. But equally, I think it's... Uh, it was fantastic that we had someone who could step into it to, so easily and do it so well. It, it's not just a case of a, of covering a problem. It's you know, uh, a different take on the character that works brilliantly. And as I say, you, you end up where you need to be. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We we were so grateful um, as a cast. Every, I can, I'm sure I can speak for everyone uh, that Rob stepped stepped up to that really and honestly saved the day because. Uh, we would, you know, we would have really struggled to find someone prepared to do that in, in such a short space of time, like mm. you say. But because Rob was already part of the team, you know, we were, we were all, everyone was supportive behind it and all behind him. And just, you know, 
that's the thing with the uh, the great thing about working with Unbound is it, it is an ensemble and we're all we're all in it together and we're all you know it, it, we're just all so grateful mm. for each other really yeah once something is rolling you just don't want it you just don't want to stop it really it's uh, not something that you can uh, put put in the put in the can that's absolutely the last option isn't it yeah it really and is. it meant we could avoid what lara and i call operation sock puppet which is the last resort for all theater shows <laughs> <laughs> if, if all else fails we will just get sock puppets i, I, I think <laughs> i would quite enjoy an anthony cleopatra version in uh, in sock puppet form i think that'd be maybe that could be a future yeah. project for you dario if, if lockdown goes on much longer yeah. absolutely i can see that absolutely via zoom we could all play two characters each then <laughs> yes yeah far fewer actors costumes much easier yeah. <laughs> oh i love it but man, you got a promotion as well andy because you were mm. thidious weren't you before i was i was thidious originally yes um rose up through the ranks yeah i was i was i was very pleased as soon as i saw that um there was an opening for inabarbus which was the to be honest the character which i, I would have liked to initially um as soon as i saw that i was straight onto an email to you wasn't i and i just I really want this part. Come with what I wrote now, yes. but I want it. I don't know if you've got somebody in mind for it. I was, yeah, I was ecstatic actually to uh, to be offered the part in the end. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. all that all that shuffling around and people doing, you know, having to change and changing together mm. makes for, you know, you get through it by just positive thinking really, and uh, yeah. everybody, yeah. everybody being in the same boat in terms of, you know, the probably five or six people who were affected, and shuffled mm. along, yeah, in a, in a chain really. And I felt like I, was, I sort of built a connection with you as well, Rob, because the two of us were the were the ones who had moved and they were now having to learn an entirely new part in six weeks' time. Yeah. Um, probably slightly less for me, actually, because um, obviously there was the, the the buffer time between you moving up and then and then um, me moving up. I think it was probably maybe half a week or so, and I can't remember now. But, but yeah, I did feel like we were the two, almost not new, but new, new to a part. And it sort of made it a bit, kind of a bit special for us, didn't it, in a way? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. Yeah. Huge admiration to both of you because, you know, yeah, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah. Well, I think as Dario says, there's a certain fate about it. You know, you want it to happen. Things shuffle along mm. and you end up with whatever's fated to happen in some, in some ways. So... And the other thing to say about the shuffling around that happened was that um, when Andy moved up to playing Ina Barbus, we then needed someone to play Thidius. And around the same time, or possibly slightly after that, we had another actor depart the production um, due to scheduling conflicts, and we then needed a new Agrippa. And that's how we ended up working with KC and with Jade. They both came in uh, a little bit later on and hadn't been part of the original audition process. So, again, fate or whatever you like to call it, uh, led to us working with them and they were both brilliant and, and you kind of can't imagine the production without them now so uh, yeah you, as I say you end up with the cast that you need brilliant okay I should move on to another question um, this one's to Dario um, what considerations stroke planning goes into adapting an epic play for an intimate performance space and how early does the process start I mean I mean picking the play was about probably 18 months to two years that we kind of work quite far in advance on these things so there's always a vague idea bubbling in your head 
the the proper nuts and bolts work was probably just over a year i think you start in advance so there is a bit of a crossover with the previous production because we do a shakespeare play every year the challenge is the big one is it's such a massive play i think unedited it runs about three and a half hours maybe three and three quarter hours um that's just not practical for a community theatre company because mm. we're not rehearsing Monday to Friday, nine to five. We're doing, you know, one one day a week, basically rehearsing with people learning lines in between. So it needed to be edited down. And also for an audience, we've always tried with the Unbound Shakespeare shows to attract people who are perhaps a bit wary of Shakespeare or don't go and watch a lot of Shakespeare. And if you're trying to get them involved, they're more likely to watch a play that's closer to two hours than four. Um I'm aware might be upsetting some Shakespeare purists. They exist to be annoyed about things, so I'm, I feel it's my duty to annoy them. <laughs> um, well, Shakespeare so, used to so, cut things himself, didn't he? Yeah. Exactly. The, the notion of being a purist is, is kind of being pig ignorant of how theatre worked because all the texts that are, exists are composites of various sources, so there is no one true version of each play, and they were prepared for publication, not performance. So... I think it's it's Romeo and Juliet with the line about two hours traffic of our stage. That's because Shakespeare's plays would have been about two hours because he didn't do evening performances for the general public because there was a curfew. You had to shut shut before it got dark. So it was kind of, he did matinees and you couldn't go on for three and a half hours. You had to do about two two hours-ish. So all of them would have been cut. There's no way Shakespeare would have done Antony and Cleopatra and Hamlet and King Lear and Troilus and Cressida in the form they're written. They would have been cut down and improvised with and bits glossed over because actors had you know god knows how many plays in their heads at one time mm. um the notion of doing it exactly word perfect is bollocks frankly <laughs> um so you have to cut them um and again because of our circumstances it's got 30 or 40 named parts in it 30 or 40 speaking parts in it um that's not really practical so you have to whittle them down so the biggest consideration is just kind of editing and i the thing is i've never gone back to the play in its full form since we did it so i've kind of forgotten about all the stuff we didn't use or didn't put in but i seem to remember there just being endless endless roman soldiers and messengers and attendants which we amalgamated into three or four mm. we whittled them down which i think was a good thing because it meant characters like in our version agrippa thidius and eros had a bit more of a trajectory and there was something more to get your teeth into as an actor um because they had a bit more of an emotional through line rather than just popping up every so often handing a message to Anthony or Octavius and, and disappearing again um, and that got it down to about 18 I think we had in the cast which was a lot more manageable for us so it's it's the script is the the, the biggest thing and the number of characters there's there's other things uh, scenery the setting it bounces back and forth between Egypt and Rome with nearly every scene and occasionally to Athens that's obviously quite tricky but again I suppose going back to Shakespearean practice Shakespeare didn't have a lot of scenery theatre at that time was done with whatever you had to hand uh so if you take the globe as an example they had the globe which is obviously a beautiful space as it is mm. but there wouldn't be a lot of scenery brought in for each different scene or different location in the play and they wouldn't have had elaborate costume uh, shakespeare would have formed largely in modern dress or so yeah modern dress at that time with only sort of token bits of togas or something to suggest different characters of different time zones so we kind of took that approach really which was suggest things rather than state them there's no point trying to build a huge bit of scenery to be a roman senate and then take that down and put up a big egyptian palace and then take that down and put the roman one back up again that's just not going to happen and 
theatre is about suggestion rather than statement. So we designed the set to be one space that could work for everything, but with little bits of Egyptian iconography and bits of Roman iconography. I remember there being, uh, John and Angela painted a map of the ancient world on the back wall of the theatre at the limelight. So it was about creating a space in which everything could work. And then you can use lighting to suggest different locations. Um, Matt Black's music was key because he would just kind of weave through the show. And he would have, I think it was the wind instruments for the Egyptian scenes, the drums for the Roman scenes. And that just led you into each scene back and forth, which was a great way of suggesting, again, suggesting mm. rather than stating where you were. Um, so, yeah, with a, with a bit of creativity, it's uh, it's not. It was certainly a challenge, but actually, when you get going, it's perfectly possible to put on a play of that scale in an intimate venue. You just have to be a bit more clever. Yeah, and I think with with people like you know so gifted that with uh, people like uh, John and Angela and Matt around, yes, to to help out. So you're starting with a blank canvas, but you've got some really great, you know, great painters to to paint your picture, yeah. haven't you? With all the and different Elaine media. with the costumes as well. Yeah, the, the, the um, pink t-shirts, fantastic job. <laughs> Yes, which were uh, the Romans wore T-shirts with uh, sort of sashes. And again, it was just sort of suggesting the colours you associate with Roman soldiers, which is red and brown and maybe a bit of silver or bronze. But we the T-shirts were all white and they got put through the washing machine. And when they came out, they were bright pink. <laughs> and uh, combined with the quite tight trousers, they, I mean, sort of Gareth, Andy, Casey and uh, Jade and, and Alistair, did look a bit like a 1980s improv dance kind of a vibe going on <laughs> but we then we went away and re-dyed them and it came out it was fine in the end but they, they were a bit um <laughs> they're a, they a bit loud initially um yeah but no, they, they look great in the end and uh, as you say people like john and angela are just we've said this before but they're they're amazing and uh it's one of my favorite bits of set painting was there yeah, their, their talents are amazing and literally unbound. <laughs> There's a real sense of less is more as well, isn't there? You know, just special little things that they that they do. As you mm. say, the the backdrop of the the world or whatever, the suggestions of the sounds from that. Um, it's just uh, there's a balance to be to be struck. And there's a director that, who's a friend of mine used to say, the audience like to use their imagination. Yeah, and I mean. If there's anyone in the audience who's sort of pointing out that's not a historically accurate costume or that's not a historically accurate painting, you're in the wrong in the wrong genre. Go and film and TV is where you want all that sort of stuff. But theatre has always been. And I say, going back to Shakespeare's Day, it's about just suggesting something. Hence where you get things like um, Oh, for a Muse of Fire. It's, they make no apologies about the fact that you haven't got the Battle of Agincourt in front of you. <laughs> You've got a representation of it. But it's fine. You're there to imagine yeah. that. And if everyone's if everyone's on board and everyone's you know wants it to willing it on, you have a great time. It doesn't matter that it's not either historically accurate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's art at its best, isn't it? When you when you're creating an atmosphere and suggesting something and letting the audience suspend their disbelief and then just go along with it. It's like, especially in uh, Queen's Park Centre, the Limelight Theatre, it's the perfect space for that because it's intimate and. Um, you know, you've got the lighting, you know, it's like, and the, and the, all the tech that Stefan's does a great job. Um, and like you say, the, the music, Matt, Matt's music was, uh, it just created that wonderful feeling of, of the change of each scene. You know, it was great. Yeah, it gave each scene its identity, didn't it? I think for those of us who were on stage, all of this, 
it's a kind of magic, you know, like yeah. Stefan bringing all that stuff together. It all seems to just to to roll along, you know, mm. and it's quite uh, it's 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 great, you know. It's it's, it's amazing when it because it is complex. Well, I feel like um, as as an actor in that situation, seeing the all the different elements come together, the the backs, you know, the background being painted one week, and then we get learning tunes another week, and just the whole flavour of everything coming together really actually helps with the performance. Just uh, the fine tuning our performance um, in those those sort of weeks as it all comes together, and I think if it was if we did it completely minimalist, then I think we would probably probably be acting in quite a different way as i said andy about um you know seeing it come together as you go through the rehearsal process the shakespeare plays are always a bit of a challenge to begin with because we start in january typically rehearsing which is right at the tail end of panto so you do end up starting rehearsing on the panto set (laughs) (laughs) what's left of it after christmas yeah yeah, they're doing, doing the high Egyptian court in Toyland or wherever it was. That uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no, it was, it was King, King Arthur's Arthur. Castle, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I was just King of Camelot one minute, and and then next thing I'm just like lowly soldier Thidius walking onto my what was my kingdom. Kind of a big step down. Okay, on to another question then. I think so. To Rob and Joe, we'll ask Rob first. How did you initially prepare for these roles? How did you find the rehearsal process? And was there something about your character you discovered as you worked through the play that surprised you? Well, I think in my case, uh, it, the fact that I didn't have much time to to learn Anthony sort of made my sort of organised way of doing things even even more critical than usual, really. So I always start by going through the script and breaking the script down into chunks. And trying to trying to put a meaning behind each each chunk, and 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 that involves a lot of googling of uh, <laughs> of text to understand exactly what the character is saying. Spark notes. So I spend a lot of time googling googling stuff, mm. and then literally kind of allocating myself real time by which I've got to have the book down for each of those sections because otherwise I. If there's just too much, so it's breaking it down into manageable chunks is is what I normally do. But then I think here um, in this particular case, uh, we did quite a lot of uh, one-to-one rehearsal, uh, Joe and I, because we had to establish that relationship between the two characters, um, and um, there is such intimacy between the two of. Of between Anthony and Cleopatra, you know, mm. the two of them that uh, uh, we spent a fair bit of time going through particular sections of the script where that needed to come across, um, and uh, that was that was really really important to make the relationship between the two of them credible uh, for for the audience. Um, and things about Mark Anthony, you know, discoveries. Well, I suppose. Uh, you know, I did like Joe. I didn't know the story beforehand, and just uh, what an incredible, multifaceted character Mark Antony is. You know, he's. You might think that the guy is just a, is just a soldier, but in fact, Shakespeare takes you into the depth of his character and and the uh, the the complications of his life and uh, how he's got all these different uh, stakeholders that he's trying to trying to satisfy. In fact, so yeah, the sheer depth of 
of the characters uh, and, and breadth is uh, is amazing, really. Brilliant. Okay, and same question to Joe. Well, I, yeah, I didn't uh, really know the the part so well, but I was um, really grateful for for Dario's edit actually, because when I'd read the play uh, originally, Cleopatra, she she goes on a little bit at the end. <laughs> she goes on and on and on. I was first I say, oh God, you know. I'll never be able to learn this, but uh, you know Dario's script was was brilliant because his edit was uh, it got all the essence um, in a manageable way. So I was so relieved about that. I did go and see it actually. It was on at the National Theatre just um, I think it was January. I went to see it mm. just before we started rehearsals. So that was really helpful. Uh, I think it was one with Ray Fines and um, Sophie Okonedo. Did you see that one, Dario? Yeah, I'd seen it. Um, I'd seen it the year before. I think it opened in October or something like that. So I saw it in the in the autumn before we did the casting. I think, so, like you say, it's good to get a little reminder of of the play before we go. Yeah, yeah because really the, you know, it. obviously, the, yeah, the the essence is the same, and it, and it's like you just can take from that. You know, it just inspires you really. And again, a jumping off point, uh, I watched as many uh, different versions as I could. I, I researched, I researched Cleopatra as a historical figure also as you know like i said the, the liz taylor version although that sort of told you more about the 60s than it did about ancient, ancient <laughs> egypt um <laughs> but um and i actually found a version on the bbc that the bbc done in 1974 and um that was seemed to be the closest cleopatra that i'd interpreted myself uh, as how i would play it and that was kind of nice for me because I found uh, it was um, Janet Sussman. Her version of Cleopatra sort of matched the way I envisioned myself playing it. So I could watch a, of her doing it and and get inspiration that way. And I think you do. It's it's really nice to take all those different versions, but then you make it your own, and and it sort of you know gives you sort of a sort of a big broad range of things to to take ideas from really and um so that that was that's always fun for me to do um and learning the the lines is key and then in the re rehearsal process i love uh, that's my favorite thing um when we are working on a production is is the rehearsal process because things come up uh when you're working with other actors that totally surprise you because you know, you rehearse at home and you learn your lines, but then when you actually say those lines into someone's eyes, mm. they don't always react the way you might have expected or imagined. And and then that throws a whole other dimension. And of course, with Dario directing, he can see these sort of things happening. And this is when, uh, you know, everything comes alive because you've got people bouncing off one another mm. and... And the way that everything interacts suggests other things. So, you know, comedy, a lot of comedy came out of it that I wasn't um, really aware of the first time around. So perhaps that answers that question about Cleopatra. Like what most surprised me is finding that comedy in there. Um, at the And and also her likability, because at first I thought, God, she's, yeah, she's, she's not only insane she's fickle she's like you know all over the place mm. but actually finding that i actually uh, you know an affection for her and her her position as a woman of, of trying to 
establish and maintain her power in a man's world and how she how she does that and how she tries to to you know on the surface she's portraying all this she's so melodramatic and and over the top all the time but underneath um you know she's a woman um and she's she's madly in love and it, it's like finding that it's it's just fascinating the whole process um and yeah that's that's one of the best bits about putting a production on is um yeah finding mm. that that really inside information about the character all those things about being human that Shakespeare yes. holds up a mirror to us all doesn't he mm. and he, even 400 years later the same themes you yeah. see in these plays and these parts yeah uh, yeah you're that so you can right see no today you know in your in yeah. your own life and other people's lives around you it's quite, it's it, that's what's extraordinary about Shakespeare to me you mentioned the uh, the Janet Seisman version uh, from the seventies. That was that the one with um, Patrick Stewart playing Ina Barbus. He did make an yeah, he yeah. did yeah yeah because yeah, I watched that several you... times. As well. <laughs> that was that was one of my main um, my main go to how how do I interpret this scene sort of thing um, resource I suppose you could call it yeah. So I quite often went to that one during during those uh, mad five or six weeks before the plays started. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you both talk about watching other versions because mm. it's something that I kind of deliberately don't mm. do. I, I I like to take the text and and dig through it and work out what it means. There's, it's weird. There's sort of part of me that doesn't want to. I don't want to be an imitator mm. of of someone else's performance. Yeah. So it's a kind of fear that I have that stops me. So I don't actually. I don't tend to watch other uh, versions of a play that I'm doing. Yeah. I like to try and just do it raw and and work out for for myself. So it's yeah, really it's interesting, interesting that both of you actually, you know, do it the other way. Yeah. You, you know, Joe, you sound like you sort of absorb as many different versions as you can. You know, which is uh, yeah, like you say, it's. But I think it's a case of time because um, mm. I absolutely get where you're coming from, Rob, because. You were you had a limited amount of time, and that time was was uh, you know best spent with the script because that's the, the starting point. Obviously, I think you know I, what I do is the same as you. I work start with the script, and 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 you get your head around it. Like you say googling it, like looking at all the um, Spark notes for GCSE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did all of that. I'd already sort of uh, yeah. You've already got to that point, and you've done all that, and you and you've found where you'd like how you'd like to perform it. And it's these other research things that are a luxury, really, that you can, that if you've got the time, uh, you can just indulge yourself uh, of like, oh, you know, this is interesting. It, so it's a purely um, if there's time to do that. And I think it's it, it's a lovely thing mm. because it, it can just give you sort of little suggestions here and there. And then you, you then you have to sort of forget it all and just make it your own again. Yeah, maybe as, as it is a time thing as well, I think, as well, you know, that I, mm. you know, I was working as well. So it was. I was only learning in the evenings and and the weekends. So uh... I'll tell the story of learning your lines in the hotel room. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I was <laughs> because I was working away from from uh, home. I was doing a, a weekly commute, so I was staying in the in the travel lodge, and it must have been really weird for whoever was in the rooms <laughs> next door to hear me ranting away. Foul Egyptian. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, ranting away at, at you know these really weird speeches, uh, but in some ways, actually learning being being away in on a, in a hotel room on your own is actually it's actually quite good because you can really focus. There's no disturbance at all. You mm. can just you know. I remember you coming into rehearsals one Sunday and saying, "I'm I'm worried that the people next door think I've got a thing against Egyptians." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah this foul Egyptian has betrayed me. It's not the kind of thing you expect to hear through a hotel wall, room, is it? No. <laughs> Don't expect to hear anything. I'd rather hear nothing from other people's rooms. But um, right, so this production went on tour, Dario. What venues did you perform at, and how did you adapt to the different spaces? We started at the Limelight Theatre at Queen's Park, which is our home, and we went to the King's Head Pub, uh, St Mary's Church, and the Bucks County Museum. So it was all, it was all in Aylesbury that we were touring. Um, and we were very fortunate that we got a, a grant from Aylesbury Town Council to help with the pay for the touring element and to make that work. So, I mean, the, the adaptation of it is... We, we'd learnt from doing Twelfth Night the year before at Bucks County Museum. We'd, we'd performed that there. And we were in the garden. We had to work with only having one entrance and exit. And that's actually quite a good thing to bear in mind and a practice to get used to. Because actually in all the venues, I think, all three that we went to, it was largely the same. There's one way on and off the stage. Mm. I suppose it's about the audience's suspension of disbelief so with the limelight you've got multiple exits and entrances so you can make them quite quick when you've only got one you've got to just create a a language of of, of movement really so when we were at the uh the museum there was a line of trees that are behind the performance space and we would simply make it so that if you were exiting a scene you went off stage left and walked around behind the trees and at the same time whoever was coming on for the next scene would come on stage right directly onto the stage so it didn't matter that you were technically on stage at the same time invisible mm -hmm. If you, you make that part of the process, then the audience goes along with it and, and the, the suspension of disbelief is untouched. And actually that adapted pretty well to everywhere we went with um, both uh, the church and the King's Head. And it was another place where Matt's music came in handy because it did help the changeover as well as signifying the change in location because we didn't take any of the scenery with us apart from a few podiums, I think, and a few stools that we used during the drinking scenes. It wasn't too much of a challenge. Again, if you've got a good team, if you've got Stefan who is on it and can work in any space you give him, uh, saying the king said he was hiding under a staircase with his little soundboard or mm, yeah. in the muse museum garden, he was hidden around sort of behind a wall. Um, and actually, and the cast were brilliant at, at adapting to it and rolling with it. But, uh, you know, I'm a great believer. You work with the space that you've got. There's no point trying to force the show that you've made onto a space. You, you, let it naturally adapt and see where it goes but it was a uh, it was great fun and hopefully we'll uh once we're all allowed out again we'll all be back there again yeah Ho hopefully um in in the warmer weather for the outdoor ones <laughs> yes we have uh shakespeare tours are being moved to the summer yeah. now because uh we got slightly uh, it, it was quite slightly tired of performing them in the freezing yeah it's quite a chilly april i remember that one being and particularly for those of us who had to die on stage and then not shiver as mm. a corpse is um was a bit of a challenge oh my gosh yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's one of my biggest memories actually lying on the cobbles and thinking do corpses normally shiver this much like, can i how can you know <laughs> hopefully the audience aren't being too critical at this point I remember when we first did that sort of outdoor, or I was first doing that sort of outdoor adaptation, we did Twelfth Night. And I remember how 
I found it very challenging at first to have the entrance and exits, you know, the other the opposite way around. That things were handed a different way from how they've been in the in the indoor space, and and that my memory, I think, works partly on which way I'm moving and in which direction. So mm. that was quite a challenge. But actually, it's very enjoyable. Uh, it's over. I got used to it, and it's overridden by the kind of joy of, of taking the theatre to places and people who who haven't, you know. Bought a ticket to go in. I mean, to go and do it in the in the pub in in the in the pub garden there, yeah. where people are just uh, enjoying having a having a drink and a, and a and a bite to eat, or in the in the museum where they might have just gone along to, and then they realise oh, there's a production going on. You know, that's a really special thing to to be able to to do. I think we're fairly lucky with the weather in general, but I, I did, do I remember it hailing a little bit in the, in yeah. the King's Head? Yeah, the King's oh, yeah. Head, about 20 minutes before we went on. Never was there a more appropriate line, hail Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I <remember. laughs> standing there with Dan looking at it. I think, was it you that said that, Rob? Yeah, I was it desperate for it to hail. up from behind. I couldn't a, wait when the hail came down. It was a gift. Really, yeah. Yeah, it was a gift. It's a gimme. No, that was good fun. <laughs> Yeah. And it's got such a history that place as well it's yeah. it's just fantastic to perform in somewhere that was around when the play would have originally been performed absolutely yeah. that courtyard is just a fantastic little venue mm. really and you've only got the one entrance <laughs> and exit at the back but you know it's a little bit like the as you say Dario, the way it would have been originally yeah um you know if had the actors resting at the back coming in and out one one place i remember being in the st mary's church and there's a balcony at the back of the uh over the back of the stage that we were performing on and there was a scene that took place up there where uh it was a sort of bit of liberty taking with history but we had octavius murder pompey uh octavius was played by dan and pompey was played by alistair and alistair did his death scene but then sort of collapsed to the floor but the thing is the front of the balcony is cladded so no one could see him and he kind of you could sort of tell that he'd kind of gone oh hang on no one can see me. So he kind of managed to crawl along the balcony so that his head appeared at the top of the stairs <laughs> and, so that he could finish off the scene. So going, that was commitment. That that's, was. That's that fantastic. Was, yeah. Love it. Love so, it. But again, you know, if you've got the right bunch of people around, you can adapt to pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, and that's a good example of, you know, with Alistair, it's, it was very funny, but uh, he was, uh, he was great at sort of making sure. Mm making sure they saw because otherwise it, it was a bit suspect that he just disappeared and then it wasn't seen again <laughs> i seem to remember somebody got stuck up there as well didn't they they couldn't they couldn't come down the steps for fear of making noise so they ended up there till the i don't know if it was the end I of the show it was or Jackie, the end of the wasn't scene. it she went off through one of the doors and then luckily <laughs> it wasn't too far near the end of the first half but she, the, the, she got there wasn't stuck. a way out of that room unless you came back onto the stage mm. so she just stayed up just there for the rest of the <laughs> first half <laughs> just up there cool i think we've, we've kind of run into the next question i had actually which was uh what was your favorite venue to perform at so i'll ask it anyway and then i'm sure there'll be other anecdotes so um um so to joe first of all what was your favorite venue to perform at and what were the most memorable moments of the run right well i think to be fair my my favorite venue is that is the limelight theater at the queen's park because that it's got it's so intimate and yeah, closed space, and you really can be in the moment and uh, you know and believe where you are without any distractions. 
Having said that, though, everything we've said about, you know, the other places are fun to play. And it's kind of like, you know, when you see the audience as well, uh, which you don't tend to do when you're in the limelight because the lights are on you and, you, you know, the audience are dark. Mm. But sometimes it is fun, um, as, you know, especially when we've done a few run-throughs at the, at the Queen's Park, you know what you're doing. So you can kind of look a bit more at the audience reaction. Um, and that actually, yeah, one of the most memorable mo moments for me was at the uh, Bucks County Museum. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd finished the play and I, I, we were just taking our bows and I looked up and there was, you know, everyone was, was applauding, but there was this lady sitting at the front and she was, she was clapping, but she was in, she was in floods of tears. And mm. uh, she, I, I remember thinking, oh, wow, you know, we, we obviously got that right. We, we did something right. This, this lady's been, you know, really affected yeah. by our, our production and, um. I remember thinking that, that I'm, I'm sort of really, we were really, really proud of that. And um, but someone approached her with a collection book or something, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she, yeah, she, she had hay fever. Probably in the open air, maybe, <laughs> probably. But um, yeah, that was, that was a really memorable moment. Lying, lying on the cobbles and trying not to shiver was another one. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. And then how about you, Rob? What's, uh, your favourite venue and most memorable moments? Well, I think uh, more of the same really on the venue. I mean, for me, um, Queen's Park is a, is a, is a great venue. And, and <clears throat> I think the, I, I just love the intimacy of it and the, the fact that you can, you know, reality can be truly suspended when the lights go down. Uh, and in this play, you get the full benefit of light and shade in the performance so you have your, your battles going on at one at one time and then at another moment I mean that the, the the times I that stick in my mind most for some strange reason are uh, very selfishly the ones where I'm largely on my own uh, as Anthony <laughs> and the lights are down and I'm uh, I remember a couple of just a couple of moments really uh Particularly, as I say, it's strange which ones you remember. But when uh, was it? Philippa was the, the soothsayer, and came on, and I was I was asking her, you know, who's who's going to win, you know, me or Caesar? And she doesn't give me the answer I want to hear, mm. so so I tell her to clear off. <laughs> and uh, and then later on, uh, when uh, I think that Cleopatra's dead. And I, I say that, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be with you soon. I come, my queen. And I, I just, just uh, Mark Anthony on, on the stage. And I think I like that just, uh, uh, I don't know where, what it is, but just being completely alone. And, uh, and this person is uh, completely self-absorbed and broken. I, I always uh, remember points of any any production where things have gone slightly wrong and you've had to sort of I remember at some point there was in the background during the party and we're initially I think the direction was just rhubarbing in the background to make it feel like an atmosphere then after a while it's a food start getting thrown back and forth the stage <laughs> <laughs> and to a point where it gets a full-on food fight from what I remember and I think at some point I, I remember somebody spilling their drink 
either over themselves. Was it Jade spilt over herself or over somebody else? And one I of think these Jade threw hers at Gareth. That was it, yeah. And in the, in the spirit of the scene, she was sort of getting a bit rowdy and just threw it. <laughs> so Gareth's covered in this, like I think it was um, like Ribena, Ribena or, something, or something. So this this not quite pink T-shirt now with a massive purple stain <laughs> on the front of it. <laughs> I just remember thinking. Okay, we we need to rein in this food fight now because that's just going to get a little bit out of hand. <laughs> so to everybody then, uh, which scenes were the most fun to perform, or in Dario's case, to direct, and which were the most difficult? So we'll ask we'll ask Dario first on that one. Um, I think actually going back to what Joe was saying earlier about finding out how funny Cleopatra can be, it's always nice when you're doing a tragedy. It's always nice to find the bits that are funny, because a drama with no jokes is just boring mm. and likewise a comedy with no pathos is kind of inane so it's it's really fun to find those moments and sometimes they're almost a little bit inappropriate but shakespeare's really good at that at finding inappropriate <laughs> moments to make it funny um so that some of the jokey stuff was was great to work on particularly um the scene with the messenger which is quite darkly comic because it's it's pretty brutal the way Cleopatra mm. attacks him. It's more to do with the scene later where he comes back and has to be kind of coaxed back onto stage to come and speak. <laughs> and John is John Peter the Messenger mm. is so funny is. at playing this rather Perfect. jittery messenger. And we I remember putting in a joke again. Uh, Shakespeare buffs will be appalled because we changed the dialogue, <laughs> where he's asked to report on Cleopatra uh, Octavia's looks because Anthony has been married to her and Cleopatra <laughs> wants to know what what she looks like this was one of my favorite scenes I have to say and, uh, oh yeah we put yeah. an extra line where he says yeah I think says, what years is she and he says I do think she's 30 and we put it in so that Joe kind of snaps to look at him and he just goes nine <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I remember that now yeah. so I liked I liked doing those and yeah. I mean the thing I've always said with Anthony Cleopatra is the the last scene the last sequence um as you get towards Cleopatra's uh, suicide, I I honestly think that stands up as one of the best things we've ever done. I think it is it was so moving, and hence why you know had a, a lady crying at the museum. We had a lot of people really affected by that scene, and it was fantastic from from everyone, from Joe especially, doing Cleopatra's big final speeches. But um, Katie and and Jenny as well as as Charmian and Iris. Um, just amazing the reactions there's not a lot of dialogue there for them to do but their their reaction to what's going on was so intense um mm. and my my favorite backstage bit is one with rob it's at the start of the second half when octavius who's played by dan finds out that anthony's gone back on the deal and has gone back to cleopatra he he has a scene right near the start of the second half where he storms onto stage recounting a letter he's been sent and um it was a brilliant way to start the second half because it really shook people out of their, <laughs> their sort of post-interval, <laughs> you know, relaxation because Dan really went for it. And anyone who's seen Dan knows he's amazing at high-intensity scenes. He's, he's, he, he gave it such welly. And I remember before one performance at Queen's Park, Rob was stood behind him pretending to wind him up like a, a clockwork soldier and he didn't know and he just kind of stood there winding the key and then just pulling it out before he went on and off he went <laughs> and, Dad, and Rob just turned around and went Duracell Bunny's having a good one <laughs> poor Dan because I mean, he was brilliant Dan. he was the first thing he did run round and he, he was just fantastic yeah yeah um, he's such a lot of energy yeah, yeah just, a, he was just a huge amazing amount of energy. At, at, 
Octavius. Yeah. So believable, it's perfect. Not just the kind of the, the the more kind of angry stuff. There was a scene again towards the end where he goes and sees Cleopatra, and oh, it's it's a yeah. really creepy, tense bit. And he, you know, the two of you are fantastic in that. Um, but I always I always remember every time subsequently that Dan did that scene, no matter whether I was watching it or I was backstage, I just sort of pictured Rob. <laughs> calling him the Duracell button. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. For me, yeah, the um the I think that yeah, the scenes that were the most fun um were definitely the ones with John, John North, um as the message. He was perfect. He would he'd be quivering and quaking in his boots. And uh yeah, Cleopatra's just yeah, screaming at him or but that scene where Katie and, and Jenny are behind me, like mouthing to him, like telling him and he's like looking at them and then at me and it was Yes, trying you know, to feed in the right answers. Yeah, they were it was just and I just like look over my shoulder like, what's going on here? And then their two innocent faces were just like, Oh, oh nothing. We're not doing anything. <laughs> nothing to see. Um so yeah, yeah, that that was really, really good. Um, and how about you, Rob? Um, what your scenes most fun to perform and most well, difficult? Yeah, I suppose the the ones I like the most for you know for dramatic reasons really. Uh, I love the, uh, the I love the scene where Mark Antony tells is telling Cleopatra that um, that he's got to leave, and she's pretending to be sick and telling telling me you know, <clears throat> telling me that she's tell him to go. You know. Mm. Tell, stand back or whatever she says you know yeah. and 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 then they have this sort of cat and mouse around the stage uh, and and I really love that where as an actor you use you use distance on the stage like a lever so if there's a if there's a a gap between two characters or a difference between them you can magnify that by by being opposite them and using the the more distance you've got, it's like a lever. The bigger the the bigger the kind of uh, tension mm. and, and disparity between the two of you. And uh, the most difficult <laughs> was definitely having to die and make my way like a slug up the up the up stage. Oh yeah, <laughs> cut this like this giant slug <laughs> making its way. <laughs> Of making its way up stage to die at the right point and, and, and simultaneously, you know, having to die and decide to climb onto a block uh, at the back of the stage. And that Honestly, was, Rob. That was, yeah, that, <laughs> that that was, was very amazing. memorable, yeah. Because, yeah, Cleopatra's like reaching out to him. She's like, come on, come on. And he's like, okay, but I'm just dying. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, come here. I'm not coming to you. Come here. <laughs> so that that was really, really difficult. Mind you, it works for the scene, doesn't it? Because yeah. yeah, he's he's not allowed to be dignified. That's the sort of great tragedy at the end. Mm. Is that even when he's ma finally makes up his mind about something, he can't die with dignity. It's a sort of tragic thing that Shakespeare gives him. But it's so you know, it, it works for the for the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most difficult <clears throat> scene uh, for me actually was was my the similarly. Uh, the death scene at the end um and i was so i was so worried i think dario we did have several conversations about this with the with the whole you know the the asp and the you know how how are we going to do this yes. make it 
yeah. you know, make it make it sad and not at all, you know, obviously not at all comic. And but I have to say, uh, going back to what Dario said earlier, I think all credit has to go to to um, Katie and Jenny. I mean, it was Team Egypt. I all of those scenes, you know, I relied on on them heavily as Charmian and, and Iris. Um, uh, and it was a joy to work with my daughter. It was such a lovely opportunity for me uh, that, you know, it's what like a once in a lifetime thing to, to share the stage uh, with with your daughter. And But there was one point where um, it was in that scene, actually, and we'd done a lot of rehearsals, but um, we'd never sat, you know, as it, as it gets closer to the, to the actual performance, you, you get more into it, it's more intense. And I remember turning turning back to look, um, and Cleopatra's all bravado, and she's all show, and she's she's quaking inside. But at this point, she's she's putting on a really brave face, and she's wanting to to make the dramatic suicide and and everything. And and that would be, you know, that's okay. But if without Katie and Jenny um, reacting and showing the true pathos behind that bravado that is the combination that that makes the whole thing work and I remember turning around to just glance at Iris and it there's my daughter with tears streaming down her face mm. and I almost the shock of that was was like I almost like if we got my lines because see you know if you see your own daughter in tears like you just want to go oh what's the matter yeah. and it's like but obviously it's like oh you know, it was the whole combination that made that scene work in the end, and that bolstered, you know, my performance. Uh, and it just it became more believable. And I have to give them, you know, the, the credit for that, really. Mm. Okay. Um, so the last last couple of questions, really. Um, so this is to everyone. Um, what is your favourite Shakespeare play? Um, let's, let's ask let's ask Dario that one first. I, I honestly I don't really have one. It is really hard because there's no play that that does him as a writer justice. That's he's so diverse as a writer that that he can do kind of really stupid comedies, really kind of knockabout slapstick comedies, and he can write incredibly moving tragedies, and then plays like uh, Much Ado at Nothing that are halfway between the two. Um, so there there isn't one. There's there's scenes that I love and, and characters that I love, but I I going back to the the beginning of the podcast this one's always going to have a, a mean a lot to me because it was the one that really turned me on to Shakespeare as a as a writer and uh, and made me realize how brilliant he was mm. so I suppose this one but yeah it's it's impossible to pick just one yeah um and uh, how about Rob so what's your favorite Shakespeare play and is there a character you've not yet played that you'd like to take on well, rather boringly, I have to go for the same answer as Dario, really. I think it's really hard to choose one play that uh, stands out above all others. But I think Anthony and Cleopatra, it kind of takes some beating, you know, because it's got such wonderful uh, emotional range. Mm. Uh, character I've not played yet. Um, well, yeah, again, no, I don't really have... I kind of, I, I always want as big a part as the director's prepared to give me. Um, but you're a, you're a piece in the jigsaw, you know, so 
you know, you might, and, and it depends what the other pieces are. Uh, yeah. If the other pieces are, are young lovers, then, you know, maybe I'm not going to be your first choice, uh, uh, but there'll, there'll be a part in there somewhere uh, for, for, for me. So I don't, um, I kind of, I don't really have a strong ambition in that sense. And also because I'm not a great reader of plays. So there are many Shakespeare plays that I've never read and I don't know what they're about. So it's just great to be part of a team, really, and uh, take the biggest part that the director will let me have, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and make and make the most of it, uh, because yeah. you know you've got to trust in whoever's doing the casting that they're making a good picture, they're making a good jigsaw with the pieces that they've got, with the actors that they've got. Yeah, I like the jigsaw analogy actually. That's really good. Um, and then well done to Daria for turning a, a thousand piece jigsaw into a 500 piece jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think as well, the, the thing is sometimes you see a play and you, you find that the best acting, if you like, or the, 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 the characters that you identify with most are not necessarily the lead character. Mm. There might be somebody with a relatively smaller part, but but they, the, 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 the picture is such that that's the, the one that your eye is drawn to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, everyone takes their own part from the play to that they identify with. I suppose it's like me with uh, Inabarbus because when I auditioned, um, Dario lent me a DVD, and I watched it. And it wasn't Anthony that was calling to me to as a part to potentially play. It was it was Inabarbus. Um, was the and maybe a couple of the other ones, but really it was Inabarbus that shouted out to me to be yeah, kind of like his story. As, as a part of this bigger jigsaw. Uh, finally, same question to Joe, uh, your favourite Shakespeare play, and is there a character you've not yet played that you would like to play? Oh, yeah, again, it's impossible, isn't it, to choose out of all the Shakespeare plays, but um, maybe it is down to, to what you first saw, because um, I was a huge fan of Hamlet. Um, I, I, I saw a production at the uh, Royal Exchange in Manchester, it had Robert Lindsay in it, and it was done in the round. It had no, no um, costumes, no uh, props or set, and the actors all sat on the on the seats in in the audience and just took their turn. And I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I I just I thought it was the most incredible thing, and I actually went to see that three times. Um, I I loved it so much. So that's I've got a soft spot for that, and of course Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, uh, I, I, the whole the spin-off with the, the Tom Stockwell play. I, I just love I love that, but also Macbeth. I really got a soft spot for that as well. Such a it's got everything. Mm. Uh, I love I love all the uh, the horror and the the drama and the love in that. Um, so that's a good one. As far as um, what character I'd like to play. I've been really, really so lucky uh, to have played the parts I already have. Um, I, I've enjoyed them hugely. Um, I think the only one I, I perhaps, I mean, I got Titania, uh, which we did on online. Mm. Um, now, I really would love to take her on, on the stage, actually, because that's one thing. I mean, it was hugely fun to, to do um, via Zoom, but... Um, it's not quite the same when you're sitting on your sofa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, if I, if I had the chance to, to play her again uh, one day, 
flouncing around uh, in fairyland. I think that might be quite fun. So yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd very much like to be Oberon as well at the same time. So maybe maybe yes. we'll, maybe yeah. it will happen. Maybe I do hope so. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> be the lovely. reunion. Yeah, post COVID reunion, we'll all be back. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, thanks to uh, to Dari for for all the opportunities. Yeah, mm. we've been incredibly lucky. Thank you.